Yo, everyone, what is <laughs> up today? Yo. What a freaking awesome episode we have today. Isaac Painter, CISO at OmniFund, which was recently acquired by JP Morgan Chase. That's right. <laughs> no big deal, right? Awesome. And we're going to, man, dude. It's, I'm so excited to have you here today. Yeah, thanks good for, friend. We have to be here. Yeah, huge history together. Um, and so I've seen, yeah, we've been through a lot together, man. So it's it's great to be, uh, it's great to share some of that today. So anyway, mm-hmm. um, yeah. So, anyways, you you, uh, you guys just got acquired uh, by J.P. Morgan, and and that's been crazy. But today, uh, Isaac, I want you to tell us a little bit about uh, your backstory, right? How you got into security, how, you know, this role that you have, yeah. what's it like doing InfoSec at a startup? I mean, there's so much to talk about, so much to unpack. Mm. Let's, let's dive in. So tell us a little bit, uh, tell us a little bit about how you got into cyber. Um, yeah. So when I was, I was going to Utah Valley University and I was studying accounting I was like, I'm gonna Naturally. be, nice. I'm gonna be an accountant, <laughs> and I'm gonna be a bookkeeper, and it was actually more just like I just wanted to understand the more technical side of the business. I didn't really want to be an accountant, but not really knowing where I was gonna go with it. And at the same time, I was working for a PCI DSS company, mm-hmm. and security I, metrics, right? That's right. Yeah, great so, company. Yeah, they. Yep. Uh, yeah, great company. Um, so I was walking people on the phone through questionnaires, um, painstaking job when oh you have boy. to walk like a bed and breakfast mom and pa shop through like a questionnaire D and like they don't understand <laughs> what like a firewall is or a DMZ. And you're just like, and you're not allowed to say this, but you're like, just use PayPal and make your life so much easier. But you're not allowed, <laughs> but you're not allowed to say that. Yeah. So, but yeah, that's where I kind of got like my feet wet. It started becoming pretty interesting, and then they also did vulnerability scans. They kind of had like this Frankenstein of a vulnerability scanner, where like they combined three or four different like Nessus and Saint and like all into one, and then they did vulnerability scans on people's networks. And so I kind of got into that. Um, eventually, I was like verifying false positives um, and like dealing with escalations, and um, and not all of them were false positive. A funny short story is actually one time I had this really irate customer who was like, the, the, um, the port's not open. Like, it's not open. And I'm like, well, it, it's open. And I knew it was because I'd gone to their IP and their port, and I was staring at them through their video cam mm-hmm. that was up in the corner, and the guy's like, his hands are in the air, and he's yelling at me. <laughs> this is before Zoom. This is before, so is yeah, the we quality were, no. good? Is it like just like that, or is it oh, pretty smooth? Was I think it, it was good? pretty smooth oh, from what nice. I recall, but it was like I could, I'm sitting there looking at the guy. I'm telling him, like, look, your your security camera port is open. It was like, I, and it was like a default admin and password too, so I'd like just logged in and just, <laughs> I couldn't tell him that I was like literally looking at him, and so it was doing things like that, just verifying that like, yeah, this is actually like legitimate. You've got this port open verifying and just proving to the the customer that like they needed to fix it um so anyway i got my accounting degree i had like this security experience and so i went to university of arizona to do like 
uh, master's in accounting with an emphasis in information systems and security. And uh, they had they were like a really good um, IS totally. program. And uh, it was um, really awesome. So then from there, I kind of just went into like auditing of like accounting information systems. Um, worked for Pertivity, where I mm -hmm. did exactly that. Did some more like SOX ITGC stuff. And then um, that's where the history with Kenny started. Um, <laughs> I was driving home on the freeway one day and I got a call from my boss at Pertivity and said, I need you to get on this call right now. And then I heard Kenny's voice and he's like, <laughs> I need to bring a bunch of Pertivity guys on to help us with some work on the common controls framework. And I thought, hey, this is cool. Like I've always wanted to go into that like cool Adobe building in, in Lehigh, Utah. And so um, they became like my main client at that point. And funny story actually was I had other clients I was working with and Kenny didn't always have work for us to do. And so it was like 30 hours, but I had, but then I had like five bosses at once. And so they always wanted me to do things. And so finally Kenny just said, you're going to just bill 40 hours to us because I'm tired of you doing other work. When I need you, I need you. And so that's what I started doing. And then I didn't get into work and I was just like on Adobe only. Yeah. I mean, uh, this is all like water under the bridge. Right. So it's like, who cares? Right. I don't know if I was allowed to do that, but like, I don't know, man. We can edit that part out. Right. No, 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 man. It's raw. We want the truth and nothing but the truth. So help. Yeah. Yeah. We want yeah. the truth. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was close, but it was enough where it was like, Isaac, you're billing 30 and you have 10 remaining. We have work for you to do. And so Kenny, you know, wanted work. And I was like, I can't, I got to finish this for the other client. But yeah, we got rocking and rolling on the CCF. And then you and Zosh, dude, we need Zosh right there. Zosh, you're coming on this podcast. Okay, man. <laughs> Zosh. Yeah, that's dude. right. That was that was yeah. Awesome. So Zosh didn't care about the rules, and he just uh, <laughs> went ahead and applied to work at Adobe. And I left Adobe to work for another company, and then two months later, Kenny <laughs> called me up. Is like, hey, we got a position, open. and I I went over. So then I started working for Kenny for the next little while. I didn't realize, like, I did not realize, like, um, at the time, you know, like how much that would have uh, disrupted kind of that model. <laughs> like, dude, people hated me because. Well, like Zosh came to me and we were having so much damn fun, man, on this on this project that we were doing that was really changing things. Yeah. Right. And uh, Zosh was like, uh, I had the the wreck open and Zosh is like, hey, man, I want that wreck. <laughs> so I remember talking, hey, guy, hey, Dan, I have some news and you're not going to like it. <laughs> and, so funny. Yeah. And I think that led to like at least two more Pertivity people coming oh. over to Adobe. Oh, yeah. That. Yeah. And I didn't even... Not on your team, different team. Yeah, yeah, I didn't even think about it, but, like, that role, like, as, like, senior manager, right? You're not the partner, right? You're, you're like, kind of senior manager. So you're responsible for quality, but you're also responsible for selling. And, like, oh, my gosh, dude. <laughs> I I feel so bad now because, like, I, I probably at least should have, like, considered the whole yeah. team. But I remember when you came, uh, someone from Protivity was like, hey, Isaac Painter is working at Adobe now. And I got an email from Dan that says, well played, Kenny. Well played. <laughs> As though it was part of some scheme. <laughs> it wasn't, it wasn't scheme, at all. I promise, but it was so fun. The optics weren't that great, right? Yeah. The optics are never <clears throat> that great when, I'm, when I have my, uh, <laughs> when I'm involved. Well, it is what it is. Well, 
when I left that previous company, they were pretty pissed that I, you know, worked like three months and then left. But um, they basically told me like I didn't even need two weeks. They said you're out of here. Yeah. Wow. They kicked me out the door. Um, No, man, but it's fine. It's it's, fine. It was no hard feelings. It's no hard feelings, man. It's just business. That's that's crazy, man. So like after Adobe, where did you go? Yeah, so I was at Adobe for six years. I was on Kenny's team for uh, about a solid year. Um, and then there was like some stuff that came up around policy and Kenny was like, Hey, we need like one of our guys to kind of like be in this. And like, it just, there wasn't a lot of traction going on and they were trying to build out like the Archer GRC policy tool and it wasn't going well. Mm -hmm. And Uh, yeah. (laughs) PTSD. What's that meme? We need to insert the meme of the dog, you know, sniffing the cupcakes. You know, have you seen that one? The uh, dog sniffing the cupcakes, the PTSD one. I think so. Yeah. Let's yeah. find it right there. Let's just put that in right here, man. Yeah. Yeah. The dark so it, place. That wasn't like I think the whole entire Archer GRC project was like having just struggling all around. There was like adoption and it's and trying a lot of customization and stuff. And so, um, anyway one thing led to another and eventually they just really needed someone to own it. Um, and so, um, after about a year on Kenny's team, I, I moved to another team, um, that was more like on the security, like business operations side. And then eventually Kenny was part of a team that became officially GRC before it was like more internal audit. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if I had stayed on that team, it wouldn't been make sense for me Cause that's basically what I was doing. I was doing GRC. Right. Um, so, um, but yeah, I, I did a lot, a lot of policy work. I basically brought together like all of Adobe's policies into like one umbrella. There was like fractions of policies all throughout the company. I mean, we had the, uh, the Acrobat team that had their own policies, the Adobe sign team that had their own policies. They had, um, what was the name? Uh, connect Adobe connect had their own policies. Mm-hmm. And so they were all like doing their own sock twos and their own, policies and it was just like very like not like corporate level policies at all they were very like fractured yeah so I brought all that together wow. and yeah how does that like you know when it is fractured like what are what are the implications of that right when everybody's kind of guessing what do i have to do right like what, what am i supposed to do like yeah like well look it makes it impossible for grc because it's just like you're referring to this policy, which is in conflict with this other team's policy, which is in conflict with the corporate policy. And then nobody can find who reason wrote that policy six years ago. Right. And so it just, yeah, it was, it was a mess. And so kind of built that out. And I think, uh, I, I don't know where it's at now, but, you know, moved on to other roles and um, into like security training for like role-based training for developers and then like the more security awareness training and then um, had an opportunity to, um, step into like a acting chief of staff role to the CISO. Um, they had some transition with their CISO. At Adobe, that's yeah, pretty big. Yeah. Right? And then, um, so fair amount of like project management. Um, for a time, I did some like penetration testing program management. Um, that was that was hard, mostly because mm-hmm. it was just a lot of, I don't know. It was hard steps. about Steps. Yeah. Uh, I think it was mostly just that it required a lot of setup. And the access was really hard. It's like you got to give the pen testers the right access mm. to the right systems. And so like to kind of like unravel all the red tape and uh, around that became quite difficult. It's like you want to start the pen test, but they don't 
have the access and then convincing people, why do you need to give a pen tester access? Aren't they supposed to pen test? So any pen testers maybe listening to this later is like, oh my gosh, I hear that all the time. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so I did that for a time um, as well. And then it's a good way to get a green checkbox on your pen test is like, don't give them any credentials. Just try to. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they, they <laughs> do try to do that, but they yeah. also have to, like, assume yeah. account compromise, too. And yeah, so, yeah, yeah, right. But, um, yeah, so that's, in a nutshell, kind of leading up to, and then Kenny and I connected again. Kenny was doing some work for the company I work for now, Omni. This was two and a half years ago now. Yeah, with Rob and Yeah, so, and so Rob Wise, who's the CTO at Jake Omni, Source, and Jake Source, yeah. who's the VP of Engineering. A little and bit at the time, it was like Kelsey was involved sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Super that's, cool. that's unbelievable. Yeah. I have to think about that now. Yeah. Yeah. Kelsey just uh, barely put in his, his notice. He's leaving. Oh, man. Yeah. But what a great guy. Yeah. That guy, yeah. they just don't make him like him. He, um, I mean, very, very minimal like mm-hmm. interaction with me, but like, um, uh, when we did some things, you know, with the resolution framework. <clears throat> For Omni, um, I think it was with at the time. I think, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know how detailed we can go, right? But like, a pretty big banks, right? And we were helping kind of close those deals. Yeah. And he was just so happy, and he gave us like he gave me like a huge DoorDash card. And I'm like, I'm like, I oh, can no actually use this DoorDash. I'm like he, he <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was like, I was like crazy. I'm like, I'm gonna do that for people, anyways. But he's just a great guy. Yeah. So. Yeah. Real genuine. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Omni owes a lot of his success to, to him and yeah. also Tony, the other founder, but, yeah. um, and Robin and Rob, uh, a million oh other my people. Gosh. Yeah. Rob, um, man. Robin hearts. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, that's where, um, Kenny was like, Hey, I've got a client who's looking for kind of like a security leader. And I said, look, I'm, I think I'm going to probably move on eventually, but I don't think this is the right company. And then Kenny was like, well, it's fine. Let's just go to lunch anyways. And then Kenny was bold enough to bring it up again at lunch. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, okay, fine. Let's have a conversation. And I met these guys and actually the first time I met with them, they were in this like room that had like a blue light and it was like just blue. Like there's like this really blue room. (laughs) And I was like, what a weird company. Like, yes. um, but we laugh about that now. It was just the room that they had at the time. It was just the, the space they were in, but um, had no reflection on who they were as individuals. I just thought that was their preference to be in a blue room. But anyway, um, yeah, so Kenny, you know, did his thing and promoted me, which was really nice of him. And um, they said, well, whatever, it, if Kenny says that he trusts you, we trust you as well. So they didn't really go through that much of a rigor of a process and I made the jump and um, learned a lot about venture capital ever since. And um, yeah, we have pretty diverse customer base. We have some who don't give a crap about security. Yeah. Um, and then like, they didn't, it's not even a second thought for them. And then there, we have some who are like the, the, the larger and enter- enterprise customers um, or it's like they, that's like their first thought. That's like the first thing that they ask about is security. Yeah, and why is that? Like, so, like, the data that you guys take, like, do you think that it's legitimate, that concern? Or? Yeah, so um, there are some SEC, like, security regulations. So your 
Um, I think once you're over 25 million uh, assets under management, then you are under the scrutiny of the SEC. And mm. then they have a lot of regulations, some of them being security, but it's more like really like ITGC kind of mm-hmm. stuff. Um, and it's, it's just yeah. pieces of it, right? I mean, risk, it all comes down to right. risk. Right. And so I think there will probably be more, like more strict and defined regulation um, mm-hmm. eventually. But right now it's pretty undefined. But regardless, that's kind of the catalyst for some of these customers. But for the most part, when it comes to like the private markets, it's, it's about um, negotiating power. So it's like it um, I've talked to some of our customers trying to understand, like, why is it that you want to protect your data? And um, that was one reason was like, OK, if they arrange a deal with a particular individual or investor, one of their clients, and then they don't give that same deal to another client and that's that's leaked, that that really hurts their reputation and their negotiating power. Right. Um and then some of this is transactional information about like how many shares one person bought or what kind of provisions another person was given. And so they, they want to keep that individualized and, and don't want it to leak. And then obviously the other venture capital firms are all competing in some way as well. So they don't want the data to, to see one other person's, like they might be investing in, in competitors and um, and so, uh, yeah, yeah. So there's a fair amount of that. The other reason, um, which I thought was interesting, is you've got some, you got some firms where it's like, let, let's just take for example, like a high net worth individual mm-hmm. started a firm. And I don't, I don't know if this is one of our firms, but like let's just say little LeBron James, for example. Yeah, LeBron. Yeah, you don't. Bronny. He doesn't oh, no, want no, people to know what his venture capital firm is investing in on his behalf. Mm. So it's like, and I, again, I'm not saying this is the case. I don't even know if we have business with his venture arm, but. Right, um, probably. Yeah, maybe. I feel like I heard that. Maybe I'm not making that up, but. Um, let's just assume. <clears throat> let's just, yeah. Just yeah. for fun. Yeah, <laughs> for fun. So, but it's like, he's investing in something that maybe is like politically controversial. Mm. Um, it's like, oh, he's investing in coal. Oh, yeah. And it's like, and then all of a sudden it's like, yeah, LeBron James um, believes in this. Um, and so that's, they also want to protect their data from that respect as well. And so, and then in the last year, we've really hit like a, a churning point at Omni where we've had a data science team and then I've worked closely with them to say, okay, you guys, your responsibility is to present dashboards to customers in a way that only they can see their data. Mm. But then we're anonymizing and aggregating that data for like, um, for more like research purposes or um, trying to understand what's going on in the market. And so, which is why your tool is so awesome. Yeah. Right. That, that the the Omni solution is right. And that's ultimately right. JP Morgan, when they acquired us, it was like, you guys are sitting on data that doesn't exist anywhere else right. uh, for the wow. private markets. Yep. Yeah. Incredible innovation, right? So cool. Yeah. Yeah, so like confidentiality, you mentioned privacy, really important, right? Um, and so you can't have privacy without security, right? Right. So yeah. that's the first yeah, step. Yeah, keeping their data confidential, privacy from like a personal data standpoint, we do collect some of that. Although it's not, none of it's like sensitive. It's mm-hmm. mostly just like what's inherently in a document, someone's mm-hmm. signature, someone's yeah. their name, their business address, business email. No big deal. So 
you know, the, the law sees it as sensitive, but probably not like up there on a classification schema. Right. But um, yeah. Yeah. There's a lot. Um, you mentioned, dude, so like, um, I don't know. Um, Keaton, you probably have some questions too, but uh, I just want to dive into this one. Uh, going back to your security metrics days, like you said, dude, just just use PayPal. It'll make it so much <laughs> easier. So how how important is that mentality where you're finding those those solutions that work, right? That they're like, hey man, like here's grandma's cookbook of how to implement security. Mm. And it's not like an SEC regulation part D. It's not a PCI thing. It's like, dude, just just use a tool that works that actually takes yeah. care of that. How how important is that as a CISO at a at a now just exploding company? How important is that mentality for you? Tell us a little bit about that. Um, yes, I mean, I don't know if my question makes sense. But. Yeah, I think back actually to like the Adobe days. They were creating like these different tools that they were like developing in house. Where it's like, if you just went and bought this tool, yeah, I pay a little bit more like on paper, but like the direct cost looks more, but the indirect costs are costing us so much more at, at Adobe to like try to develop this in-house. Develop just, it in-house and then secure it. <clears throat> right. And make it <clears throat> in, enforce confidentiality and enforce right. all of those things that this startup, I mean, we're going through it. It's grueling. Yeah. Right. You have to do those things. And so why would you do that right. to yourself every time? Yeah, it's like if the HR team were to say, we're going to create our own HR system. <laughs> and it's like, and then the security team, like, it's like, you guys are going to create your own HR. So, yeah, we're going to hire our own developers and we're going to create our own version of Workday. Yeah. It's like kind of like thinking about it from that respect. And so often in security, some of these engineers who are also sometimes developers are like, oh, yeah, I'm just going to go create my own like security tool. I think that can work. But. It has Scaling to be like it. very low level. The moment it starts getting a lot more nuanced, it's like you might as well have just bought a tool. Right. I can just do it for you. And yeah, it looks more on paper, but the labor costs that you're not accounting for there. And then not only that, like you said, it's just it's not as well refined mm-hmm. as like a tool that right. maybe you could go buy. Sometimes, like I guess on the flip side, the only thing I was talking to uh, a high up at Google and he said like, look, because, you know, um, he, he was complimenting Paramify and mm-hmm. uh, kind of how we're approaching things. And so we talked for a while, and he's like, look, he's like, uh, for us, like, when we, if we're thinking about buying a tool, you know, <clears throat> we're, we're huge, right? So yeah. now we have to thought, think about how are we going to integrate this into our process, right? Yeah. So yeah. Um, there are cases where it's so big, right? Like, it's just big tech where it's like, it's a you know, yeah, they're, they're like a software company, so they all build their own things, but that's expensive and it requires a ton of capital to do. Yeah. Right. So in those cases, yeah. But for most everyone else, like 95% of the time, don't be in the business of authentication. Yeah. Don't be in the business of, um, you know, HR. Right. right? I think when you're a company like Google too, you're trying to be more novel and innovative. So it's like, Mm -hmm. We looked at the solutions and not offering what we're hoping for. And it seems like that's often the case where it's just like we want we want what we want. And so we're gonna Yeah. We're gonna create it. Yeah, we'll create it and um it won't necessarily be uh uh in it won't be built with like, you know, the consumer in mind, right? 
yeah. we built with like, hey, this the is our mission, mind, yeah. right? This is our mission and we're going to do this and we think this is going to help, right? And so, mm-hmm. I don't know. It's kind of cool, right? It would be nice, right? But, you know, we don't have infinite resources. You know, I always say this. I've been saying this in all of my trainings. I just did a training mm-hmm. and uh, I refer to the things that I've read in the past that have nothing to do with security, but in in life you can have almost anything you want you you have a a set of resources that you can use to get what you want i totally believe that you can have anything you want but you can't have everything you want it's all about priority and so i don't know i just think you know it was a really quick antidote that you said like just use paypal not supposed to but it's there's so much wisdom in that don't try to do that right on your own right you know yeah yeah in so i just <clears throat> i just did this this training um cuz I'm, I'm we started paramify fundamentals you know uh and we're just sharing it with everyone um but i find myself having to explain this all the time mm. right like with so when you're talking about risk and so what better way to use it than star wars right so we talked about um you know the death start so you can check it out if you want but okay um uh one of the things that we have yeah you got we were we're we're we're, we're just eating up that clock man yeah we're good we're eating it up um what was i gonna say yeah so uh yeah star wars what's really hard is qualitative risk and then quantitative risk and like how do we classify what's important and most of the time, you know, doing an actual quantitative risk, this is our exposure, is so freaking hard. But at the same time, qualitative is not always very useful. It's like your street smarts and this your gut feeling, right? It's like, how important is this? High, l- low, 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 moderate, right? <laughs> what does that mean? So yeah. when you're talking risk and like what's important with Rob, uh, and with uh, Kelsey and, and others, like, how do you, how do you do that? I mean, it's something that we're all trying to do better. Yeah, um, I try to pre- steer pretty clear of a lot of the security terminology. I'm <laughs> talking to other parts of the business, and instead, why is that? Right. Yeah, it, uh, it's because they don't they don't care, <laughs> <laughs> and not, and not not their fault is like they have their goals, their priorities and what they see as a vision for the company. And so I really try to go back to like, okay, what are the core strategies and goals for the company and linking it back nice. to that is what's most important. Cause that's, what's going to get attention overall. So like when that, like I'll just give a really simple example in like the last six months, one of our goals is like retention. Okay. Retention is like huge. <clears throat> so retention and acquisition. Of new, I mean that that's probably a, it's a pretty clear goal for probably most most companies. I would re- imagine. retaining your customers, retaining your existing customers. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And then Super retaining hard. existing customers, and then um, acquiring the new customers. So right. those are pretty obvious goals. I think most companies would strive for. But it became like let's not focus on anything else. Like all goal, all goals, and all objectives point to that objective. Interesting. And so, um, so I was like, okay. Like if I'm going to have the time of the day and say like a department heads meeting and I, you know, I, I would like to give a security update like every six months, for example, I'm going to make that presentation about how security ties into the, those goals. And it's like, okay, so 
the example I was going to give, like recently in the last six months, we started tracking every time a deal closes, whether or not the security team was involved with that. And then we have a metric that counts how many deals have closed in part due to the security program. Whoa, interesting. Okay. So well, <clears throat> what did you find in that? That's crazy. Um, yeah, we're probably tracking. So we have like a... a a KPI that we use and it's uh, tracks like the last 15 days and I look at it about once a week and we probably track two to three deals close due to in part to our security program. Oh, wow. Okay. So, and one of the ways we track that is like we don't allow our sales team to send um, our security package. Like we could give them the collateral, but one, we want to track it and, and two, there's like confidentiality issues. You got to have them sign the, the you know, the, yeah. the NDA and stuff. But right. But it's also because like we want to know where those are getting sent, and also like we don't want people saving like an old, old version on their desktop and sending it. Right. Um, so there's when a number. It's of not reasons. true anymore. But the biggest reason is we want to track who's getting this, and then once we see oh the deal closed, oh yep. So we're tracking that in Jira. So, all. so it's a positive correlation. Then, yeah. Right. So with yeah. security involvement, that's interesting. Yeah. So man. it's anywhere from like. Did we fill out a questionnaire? Did we fill a, a phone call? Did we um, um, did we send them our security package? Sometimes we don't even engage with them. We just like email them our package, which includes like a white paper, SOC two, our ISO, whoa, um, a diagram, um, how to set up SSO. So it's just like they feel <clears throat> it just kind of I don't know. I assume that that just increases trust. Like yeah, yeah. So much. Well, the way I see it is we want to overwhelm them with so much security collateral that they're like, oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, I'm comfortable. Right. Yeah. I mean, I've had customers where I just sat with them on the call for 30 minutes and they were like, okay, cool. This is, this is great. You Thank need you. to, yeah, because perception is reality. Yeah. Right. Perception is reality. So not only do you actually need to do good, yeah. you need to make it easy for other people to understand that you're actually enforcing security. So uh, and that's where like a sticker is good, right? But they're commodities, right? SOC 2 stickers, ISO stickers. Yeah. And so oftentimes that's just going to be a <clears throat> requirement or table stakes to have the conversation or engage with the security team. And at that point, the security team needs to have empathy and needs to be able to convey to someone, hey, let me understand what you're asking and let me show you how we do yeah mfa let, let me show you how you and that's just like so critical so you're seeing a positive correlation yeah. with that like, yeah oh definitely i mean kelsey for example yeah even just came to me and he was just like the sales team loves the infosec team because you help us sell product yeah and so wow. it's like and then you know I, i've even heard individuals say like, we got to just stop filling out questionnaires. It's just ridiculous. It's boring. And I agree. It's kind of a racket, the whole thing. But or, or, like, it's like, at what point do we start saying no to customers? It's like, we don't stop because if we can say that security helps sell product, which our CEO, Tony, also is like, yeah, I can see how it helps sell, um, then we get, it's easier for me to get budget for the tool we want to use on AWS to help us actually secure the company. Right. So right. it's not the other way around. It's not yeah. like, like we need better securities and give us a budget. It's like, well, why do you need it? Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's just like, otherwise it's just seen as a cost center. Yeah. 
Yeah, which is not. <clears throat> yeah. I, yeah, go. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, it looks like we are um, like coming close to time, but uh, I have a question. So let's say someone's listening to this that wants <clears throat> to start a career in InfoSec. Mm. Do you have any like recommendations for them on how to get into the industry? And Gosh, that's such yeah. a hard question because there's so many people who do want to get into it, but every company is like, you got to have two years of experience. Mm-hmm. And like, I mean, I'm in that position too, where it's like, I don't know if I'm in yeah. a position to take a risk on someone. Um, yeah. And so, but like, yeah, I don't have a lot of great advice there other than just to say like, um, kind of lift where you stand. So wherever you're at at your current company, like if it's just <clears throat> have the opportunity to like look at or get involved in security so you can throw it on your resume and say like, oh, I've done some security things at my current company that I'm at. Um, like try to get involved in that way. Um, definitely. <clears throat> and obviously getting some education um, or certifications um, goes a long way since, you know, some might argue those are a racket as well. Yeah. Um, right. But it's perception. Like you said, perception is reality. So people perceive you. And if you have some sort of certification, at least some experience, even if it's just like a security plus. Yeah. <clears throat> I like that quote. <clears throat> where you stand so just do whatever you can to get that experience yeah when i did like my cissp uh, which is you know probably it's a pretty good one right i mean it's not everything but it it tells you and i was excited about learning about it but i also had a lot of experience consulting and you did <clears throat> you went right into it and started doing a thing mm. right and so consulting companies always are hiring man almost always almost in any economy yeah they they they're a subject to the economy as well but getting entry-level positions that's what i say i don't know your yeah thought. it that's looks true. like it worked for there's, you too. there's some like companies out there like arctic wolf is a good one yeah um, they like they have a really lot of good entry-level positions um like helping people manage their sock like totally, totally. those are great companies and then you get your feet wet for a year or two and then you have some security experience but um, yeah, I would say that's, that's really good. That's awesome, man. Dude. So fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. Dude. So, um, Isaac, man, what do you, okay. We, we got to ask this, right. Um, <clears throat> AI is really important in InfoSec. Um, I really like that, you know, we were talking about risk earlier, qualitative and quantitative are always going to be important, right? Qualitative, you need experience, someone who's been there, who's seen how it's worked. So for qualitative risk assessment is really important. So they can synthesize what they know and convey, Mm. you know, align it with the business goals and talk to someone. But like quantitative is really important too, but it's so hard because humans are just bad with numbers and calculations. So for me, I'm really excited about AI. and in risk and cyber mm. what, what are some of the things that you are excited about with ai in the future um are, are you guys using it um, um yeah i mean some of our developers are using it although having been recently acquired by jp morgan they have a, a strong aversion to it because of the risks and so mm. up in the air whether we'll continue to, to use it in the way that we are but we're using more like open ai um, just like the, pl- the api plugin just to help developers like snippets of code not like an entire like code base but um so we're using it in that respect um i helped it write i i used it there to help me write a job description oh yeah, this is, yeah. just little things like that at least a starting point but 
I think what excites me most about AI where it concerns security um, is the ability to automate a great deal of um, the work that goes behind security that's not necessarily like it's noise. Mm. Um, so like I read a paper the other day about like how socks are basically like SOC, like they're going to be replaced by AI because there's just all that analysis on the log level and terrible it, job. Right? Yeah. Like, yeah. And I mean, it's, it's like, like watching some, yeah. Some, some of these tools help you find it like this could be legitimate and then you have to go verify it and it's like actually or even like das scan like false positives like having an ai verify whether or not that is false positive or not like just a lot of time not wasted but it's interesting to also think about like ai like malware and then ai like defense measures and like the ai is like almost like battling with one of each other and trying to outsmart each other <laughs> so it's like a little sci-fi there but like it's just right it, it's just interesting to think about how you're like on your, your your computer, your workstation. There could be like a war going on between like an AI malware <laughs> and like the, the AI built into like the anti malware, dude. Um, but it like it's funny to think about. But like I think soon that will be kind of a reality, right? Is like, yeah, dude. Isaac, thanks so much, man. I love you, man. It's it's great. Hopefully, maybe we can have you on back and maybe bring a team member with you and we can do yeah. it again. It'd be great. <clears throat> Thanks if you guys have remaining questions, I think I probably got like five more minutes if you wanted to. Yeah, 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 man. Yeah, Let's done. go, dude. Let's yeah. go. Let's get into the fun stuff. Okay. Um, <laughs> all right, man. So what? <clears throat> let's let's just uh, pull something out. You you can go, uh, yeah. Keaton, while I try to think of something just, on the fly. Just uh yeah, uh, along the lines of AI. Uh, let's go a little more like theoretical. Where do you think AI could be in like a decade from now or twenty years from now? Yeah, good question. Not one I've ever thought about before. Oh, yeah. um, I'm I'm certainly not like deep into AI study. Um, you know, I think I, I don't think it's gonna be apocalyptic, like a lot right. of people say. <laughs> it's just my personal opinion that ultimately anything that is created by a human is gonna be just as imperfect as a human, mm, and so it's not going to like suddenly become more intelligent than us and start like, um, you know, taking over systems that result in like death and loss and, and right. like <laughs> overheating of your house and like turning off your air conditioning. Like I just, I mean, those things certainly can happen, but I think there's too much imperfection in AI. Like I actually mm -hmm. heard this thing the other day about, I can't remember the term they use, but I'm just going to call it pollution where it's like AI mm -hmm. pollution where it's basically there's so much content out there that is produced by an AI that the AI starts consuming itself. Mm. So it's like you take a photocopy of a picture and then a photocopy of a photocopy and a photocopy. And over time, it starts to look really grainy and diluted. That's right. what happens to an AI as it consumes itself over and over again. Uh, and so yeah. it's like the quality becomes like, and then, you know, that's when this writer strike wins, right? Because it's just like, it's just garbage what it, what it produces back. So right. you still have to have someone like a human mind powering the original content ultimately. Sounds like, yeah, it, it, so, whoops, sorry, Don, um, um, you have like 70% fact, but then like 30% cringe, mm -hmm. right? You know, and that cringe gets amplified as it like consensus. Yeah. So we see, 
you know, we talked about this in our last podcast with uh, we had a next level AI. Uh, those guys uh, were building an awesome company. And uh, so we talked about how we could build a, 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 an AI bot to detect cringe on LinkedIn. And uh, we think we could have a lot of success with it, right? So, anyways, <laughs> that's uh, that's the the bolt on you're gonna put on Depremify. <laughs> we're we're, we're gonna figure out a a, a way to uh, to to partner up with those guys. But <laughs> yeah, man, it's a uh, it's pretty cool. So Isaac, uh, you read a lot. Um, I always get I get good book recommendations from you. So why don't you share with your listeners what what are you reading right now? Um, it doesn't have to be security related, or it could be like I don't know. What are you reading right now? Right now, I'm reading a book called The Kingdom and the Crown. Oh it's yeah, 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 yeah. Very uh, good book. I like that book. With, yeah, yeah, so, Yehuda. And <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's a good character. So I'm yeah. reading that right now. Very good, just like spiritual book. Mm-hmm. Um, but right before that, um, I read a book called Think Again. Oh, okay. Um, by Adam Grant. Um, probably one of like top ten books I've ever read. Think again. Um, What's like the theme of the book or was it? So the idea is that he promotes is um, too often in in education, more particularly, we have these like textbooks or just these ideas in the world that it's just like, this is, this is the truth and like not questioning. Like this has go that we like, there's a lot of like confirmation bias that's going on and cycling over and over again. So it's like, I believe this and I'm going to go out and search on Google to, to validate myself. And of course you're going to find it. Right. Uh, and so like just a really simple example, it's like people lost their minds when they found out Pluto wasn't a planet. Like people like freaked out. Dude, just Pluto like, will always be a planet. Man. <laughs> Are you kidding me? I grew up with Pluto. As a planet, it will always be a planet. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, so just using that simple example, he just promotes this idea that like we need to be willing to think again about right. it and like yeah. even kind of just letting go of like predisposition. So like he gives some really great examples. Like he walks through this guy who um, like met with like KKK members, uh, an African-American met with KKK members and convinced like 300 of them to leave the KKK just by sitting down and having lunch with them. And convincing them to like think again that like not not the black race is not inferior mm-hmm. and then another example like he gives is he actually they did like this he states states this study i think it was done at stanford about like what what policy decisions made by presidents were actually like the best decisions and they found that presidents who are willing to change their mind and think again actually resulted in the best policy decisions for the United States. Wow. And so it's just like, it's okay to change your mind. And so he, he promotes this idea as like, we all need to think more like scientists and understand that like our experiments will fail and that's okay. And so it's a fascinating book and he cites a lot of studies and, but it's very, very good. I highly recommend it. Man, that sounds awesome. Uh, Yeah. So I'm going to get it. It's on the, it's on the, it's on the docket already, man. Isaac Painter, everybody, thank you so much. Yeah. A round of applause. Yeah, thanks, guys. Thank you so much, thank you so much man. You. We'll see you uh, hopefully again. Hopefully yeah. we can do this again. Yeah, that would be fun. All right, brother.